Welcome to Reclaim Your Power, Inspiration and Reflections for Before, During and After Childbirth, a podcast about birth, getting in touch with our bodies and talking about things that aren't often discussed or that you may not find in mainstream sources of information, a podcast to transform the way you plan for and approach birth, moving from fear and uncertainty to empowerment and inspiration. My name is Fungisai, which means to remind, and that's what I aim to do here, remind you that the power lies within you and that it all starts with you. This episode will be part of a series of episodes that I call Birth Your Way. When I was planning this podcast, I thought I would cover several topics in one go, but I've realized that it's best to present them separately and give each topic the attention it deserves although there may be a bit of overlap here and there. But before I start today's topic, I'd like to start with some reflections from last week's episode on pain. Now, I know discussing pain in childbirth is an emotive issue, and there are two camps usually, those that firmly believe in what we call natural birth, i.e. birth without any type of medication, and those that believe in birth with absolutely no pain and welcome whatever medication is available. And of course, there are always those that fall in between. I always share my episodes in several Facebook groups that I'm in and also on my own Facebook page. And occasionally I get some comments, but not much. However, last week in one of the groups I posted in, I got a bit more reaction and discussion than usual, which I really appreciated and which got me thinking more about this topic and where I stand on this issue of pain. If I'm to be honest, I am more of the natural birth or the unmedicated birth camp. That's what I choose for myself, or that's what I chose for myself. As I've previously shared, in my first birth, I had no pain relief at all. And by the time one of the midwives suggested I get pain relief, it was too late. I would have been given pethidine, which can go through to the baby, and I think is not widely used anymore, at least not in Norway. I've I've never heard of it being used here. So that was a lucky escape, I think. But I can tell you I was so ready to get that injection and felt cheated when my obstetrician declared that I was far too dilated to get the pain meds. For my second and third children, the situation was different. I chose not to have pain medication. And I wonder if that was an easier choice for me because I gave birth at home and also because I was fortunate enough to have straightforward births. So my choices were easy, so to speak, which is not the case for everybody. Getting pain medication would have meant transfer to hospital for me, So even if I wanted medication, it wasn't there. In Scotland, there was gas and air available if I wanted it. But I used my TENS machine when I was outside the water. And then once I was in water, I was okay. People have often commented to me that, oh, you're so brave when I tell them that I gave birth at home and without medication. I don't think this is about being brave at all. It's a conscious choice that I made because I took the time and effort to inform myself And also, if I'm really honest with you, I have a different type of fear. Fear of being in hospital, in a strange environment, of not having control or of having control taken away from me. This, for me, is more overwhelming than the fear of pain. The fact that I could have the same midwife with me throughout my whole process also gave me the reassurance and the strength to endure the pain I went through. And I won't lie to you, it was painful. 
but my attitude towards the pain and the techniques I learned and practiced helped me cope. I'm not brave. I just made the choices that were right for me. My births were not a walk in the park, especially the short birth of my daughter. It was the most physically challenging experience I have ever had. It was tough. I was, however, prepared for things to not go as planned, and I had two birth plans for both my home births, a home birth plan and a hospital one. My husband and I even visited the more medicalized birthing unit at the hospital here in Bergen because that's where I would have been taken if um, something had gone wrong, if I'd needed medication. I'd been there before as a doula, but he hadn't, and I also wanted to see it through the eyes of an expectant mother rather than I'd seen it before as a doula. So I was prepared to go to hospital if necessary, and I was also prepared to accept an epidural if I could not manage the pain. I kept my options open. So although I'm a natural or unmedicated birth, I think it's important to understand that your choice is yours. I'm just offering my experience and offering my knowledge. So I guess what I'm trying to do with this podcast is to encourage you to keep your options open and to make informed choices and not let fear take over. Each birth is different. We can never really tell what our bodies will do. And there's so many factors in play that I can truly say birth is unpredictable. But what can we do to help lower the odds, so to speak? One, expect the unexpected, keep your options open. And two, educate and inform yourself. Understand the process of birth, control what you can, and let the rest go. Prepare your body. This is not a guarantee of an easy birth, but whatever preparation you can make will go a long way and will give you some reassurance. Remember, a gentle birth is not a pain-free, unmedicated birth, but a birth where you feel safe, informed, with some measure of control, and well cared for. So that was a long preamble to today's topic, preparing your body. How can we prepare our bodies for birth? Much of the literature I've read about the birthing process compares it to a marathon and and asks, would you get up to go run a marathon without training or preparing for it? I hope everyone's answer to that is no. You wouldn't get very far, would you? Now, I touched on this topic in the episode, Love Your Body, Love Yourself. And today I'll reflect on more specific things that you may choose to do and that I have personal experience of. Now, this is my subjective experience and I can't objectively tell you whether they really help my births. As a researcher, I know that my personal experience does not count as irrefutable scientific evidence. But that is not the aim of this podcast. Remember to go out and do some research and reading and find out more about the topics that I reflect on and then reflect upon it yourselves. It's up to you to do the work. I'm here to just nudge you gently into action and hopefully inspire you a little. So what to do when preparing for this birth marathon? Remember last episode, I talked about how hard your muscles work during birth to literally squeeze your body out of your your baby out of your body. So things like exercise and good diet are important. It will help you if your stamina is good because you may not get so exhausted or at least you'll manage better. You never know how long birth will go on for. Actually, the English word labor, according to the dictionary, means hard work or physical toil. This gives you an indication that this is no easy feat. It's hard work bringing a baby into the world. So prepare for it. With my first baby, I was young and the fittest I've ever been in my life, I think. 
apart from probably when I was in, in school, because I'd been exercising quite a lot before I fell pregnant. So that may have helped me to manage better, although I spent the whole labour on the bed. Of course, your body can choose to not cooperate and throw things like pelvic girdle pain at you, which happened to me. But there are still ways you can exercise, like in water. If possible, you can still swim and your doctor or physiotherapist will definitely be able to advise you there. I confess I didn't do much exercise once the pelvic girdle pain set in. I was still going to work, but not doing much else. So I put on lots of weight, which I'm sure did not help the pain as there was now more load on my poor pelvis. This was one of the reasons I chose to have a water bath, and this made a tremendous difference because I could move around in water, I was weightless for once, and I could adopt different positions, which gave me a lot more control. If I had not had the water to support me, I think my labour would have been a lot harder. It was quite long, and I was in what we call active labour for about 12 hours, so it was a marathon, and physically, I wasn't very well prepared for it. But mentally, I understood and embraced what was happening in my body, so that kept me going. The pelvic girdle pain caught me completely by surprise, and although I got help and read a lot about how to manage it, in hindsight, I think if I'd managed my diet better, I could have at least avoided the excess weight, which I believe put a lot more stress on my joints. I also retained a lot of water in my body during that pregnancy, which once again could have been linked to my diet and lack of movement. So keeping active, doing whatever exercise or movement suits you is important. It's important to pace yourself though, especially in the first trimester when your body is getting used to its, to itself, to all the changes happening. And when you feel tired all the time, then rest. And during the last trimester, when you get big and heavier because the baby is rapidly growing, then maybe some brisk walks may be better than aerobic exercises like jogging. Always check with your midwife or doctor what is safe for you to do, because of course, all our bodies are different. But staying active and building up some stamina is definitely helpful. If you already have young children, then it will be easy to stay active chasing them around. Diet is another important factor. It's often said that you're eating for two, so it's fine to have double portions. I would watch out for that. I'd say that's an old wife's tale, especially if eating for two means chocolate bars, cookies and tubs of ice cream. When it comes to labour, you won't be happy about the excess weight that you've put on. The book I mentioned in the episode on Love Your Body, Love Yourself by Gauri Motha was quite a revelation to me with regards to the influence of refined sugars and gluten on our birth experience. I never even thought about it. I'm not saying change your diet completely, but look at what you're eating and think of how it's nourishing you and your baby. You can still enjoy ice cream, chocolate and cakes, but make sure you balance your diet and eat everything in moderation. Again, there's a lot of information out there. Find what appeals to you and go with that. But just keep remembering, you're preparing for that marathon. Your body will thank you for looking after it well. With my third pregnancy, I followed Gary's suggestion and cut out refined sugars and gluten. And for me, it made a great difference. I didn't have pelvic girdle pain, although as I mentioned in earlier episodes, I felt it coming around week 12, 13, and this, I think, was also helped by frequent reflexology from about week 14. I also only put on baby weight. I made sure I ate a healthy diet and I stayed active. We had our young son then who was around four at that time. So that helped. I went for walks and I did antenatal yoga. That slight shift in my lifestyle made a tremendous difference to my labor and birth. It could have also been because it was my third full-term pregnancy. So my body was well-trained by then. Who knows? 
but there was no water retention in my body at all, so there was no congestion of fluid around my pelvic area, which may have led to an extremely efficient birth. I remember my last appointment with my reflexologist as she massaged my feet. She said, "Hmm, your cervix is quite thin. You'll probably give birth in the next day or so. I thought to myself, how could she know that from just feeling around certain areas in my feet? But she was right. Our daughter was born just before midnight the next day, six minutes before her due date. Amazing, right? Efficient contractions are an important part of the birthing process. And I'm sure some of you may have heard midwives or doctors say that "Mm, your contractions are inefficient, therefore your labor is going to be prolonged, you're getting tired, and we need to help you and give you a synthetic form of oxytocin to help things along. This can help, but it usually ends up with the contractions getting too efficient too quickly and you in excruciating pain because an external hormone has been added to your body. And this can also then lead to possibly a cascade of interventions. So what can we do to try and aid our body to have efficient contractions? Of course, exercise or being active and a good balanced diet are all positives. But in my last two pregnancies, I drank something called raspberry leaf tea. I learned about this when I was in Scotland and took it in the last six weeks, I think, of my pregnancy. This tea has a substance which helps with toning the uterus. Remember, the uterus is made up of muscles, and during pregnancy, at least towards the end, we have what we call Braxton-Hicks contractions, which are practice contractions. You'll feel your uterus tighten slightly and then relax. It's your amazing body putting in a bit of practice for the main event. So this tea helps with toning, and this may help your uterine muscles to work more efficiently. With my second pregnancy, I only drank it for the last six weeks of my pregnancy, and my contractions were pretty efficient. But with my last birth, I followed Gauri Motha's book and drank it for longer, definitely for the whole of my third trimester, but I think it may have been for longer than that. I don't quite remember. I started with a weak dose, I think it was sort of one cup a day, and then upped the dose as the time went, so my, as my body gets used, got used to it. I remember my Braxton Hicks contractions were pretty strong, and sometimes they took my breath away but they were not painful. So my uterus was pretty well toned. And I remember, I was, and remember I was 41 by this time, so no spring chicken. My uterus was so toned that our daughter was born after a two and a half hour labor with super efficient contractions. A bit too efficient, frankly. I certainly wouldn't have, would have appreciated some breathing room. I hardly had time to catch my breath. It was hard, very, very hard. I would strongly recommend talking to a practitioner before drinking raspberry leaf tea and making sure you don't drink too much too early in the pregnancy. The other things that I did in my pregnancy prep that I'm not sure is well known, but maybe I'm wrong, is vaginal and perineal massage. Remember, I told you that with my first birth, I was given an episiotomy. This is when your vaginal opening is cut to make it bigger so the baby's head can come out more easily. It's unpleasant. In my case, I don't believe it was entirely necessary because I was lying on my back and I wasn't really given much time, but my obstetrician obviously did. This caused me a lot of pain and discomfort once the anesthetic wore off and I had problems sitting and it made breastfeeding a challenge. Now, now there are all sorts of things one can sit on and that help you, you know, be more comfortable. But at that point, this was before the age of the internet and I didn't have access to much information. So I was pretty uncomfortable for, for quite a while. This episiostomy also caused scarring in my vagina, and I ended up having to get treatment for that a year or two later, so I'm not a fan. In my later births, I did some reading 
And as I, as I didn't want to experience that again, if possible, uh, I read about the discussion about to tear or not to tear. And that is actually better if that area tears naturally, as a tear heals better than a cut. I thought that was interesting. I also read that you could massage the opening of your vagina and perineum with oil to help them become more stretchy and supple. So I thought, hmm, I'll give that a shot. I tried it with my second pregnancy, but it was awkward and uncomfortable, so I stopped out after a few tries. I tore during that birth. He had a big head. And afterwards, the, midwife, the midwives gave me a choice. I had a few tears, and one of them was quite big, what they call a third-degree tear. But the choice I had was to either travel to hospital to get the tear sewn or to let it heal naturally. They were not allowed to sew the, any tears um, to give any anesthetic at all. I guess because of uh, the risk of uh, reactions. Thinking of what I read and not really wanting to make a trip to the hospital, I asked them what they thought. They both agreed that since the tears were not that extreme, it would be okay to let them heal naturally. I had very little pain with those tears and they healed very quickly within a few days, unlike the episiotomy, which took over six weeks to heal. With our daughter, I was determined to try out the massage this time and I persevered and pushed through the awkward positioning and discomfort until I got used to it. I continued to do it until I went into labour and although the birth was quick and tough, I didn't tear at all. I was very pleased with myself. Is this scientific evidence that this works? No, but I'm convinced it made a difference and I'm not the only one. Many women have tried this. So there are a few things that I wanted to share about preparing your body. There are, of course, many things that one can do and try, and some may help and some may not. Pelvic floor exercises, for example, are important both before and after birth. And I confess this is one thing I've been very bad at doing. I often just forgot, but they are important. So if you can do them and keep going, it's important that you try. Choose what is comfortable for you. And remember the marathon analogy that whatever little effort you make to prepare for labor, will help to make the experience more manageable. Others may have different experiences, but always choose to do what resonates with you, what you feel comfortable with. People often have so many opinions on what you should or shouldn't do during pregnancy and birth. You don't have to do what I did or what your friend did or your sister did. Stay curious though. Check things out. Do some research. Talk to your caregivers and then make a decision that is best for yourself and your baby. Please make well-informed decisions and choices and don't base them on fear or hearsay. And above all, take good care of yourself as you prepare for this incredible event. The next episode in the series that I call Birth Your Way will be breath, sound and movement during labour. This is something I really enjoy reflecting on. I hope you will join me. Thank you for being here, for listening. This is Fungisai reminding you to reclaim your power.